0: This morning we are going to continue um, in the Psalms of Ascent, and we're going to pause after this week and move into a series on on uh, church vitality and, and key passages to understand who we are as the church, and we're going to start that next week, uh, and then we'll come back after that in the, in the summer, later in the summer, um, to this series once again as we continue to journey to Jerusalem and to the temple, but we pick up this morning with Psalm 123 of the Song of Ascents. Listen to the Word of God. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at at ease of the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we consider your word. Guide our hearts and our minds and work by the power of your spirit to open our lives to your word. Guide my words. Guide all of our hearts. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have to remember that the, the psalm is not, it's not a lecture telling us what to do. It is a song. It is the lyrics to a song giving us a, a, a snapshot of our hearts, of, of who we are in a moment on the road to Jerusalem, uh, on the road to God. And it provides a picture of, of what happens in the life of a disciple, of a, of a follower of Jesus. And in this, in this instance, we see that we have the quality of service. We are servants called on a journey. And, and it's all about the posture the posture that we take. When I was young, I, I lived near the beach, but we traveled often in my family's on weekends, took road trips on holidays, up in, in the winters, up to, into the mountains, and we skied. And I was I was getting to think that I was a, a pretty good skier. I considered myself, I'd walk around school and think, I'm a skier. And then when, uh, when we started high school, the summer before high school, we moved to Aspen, Colorado for a couple of years. And suddenly, everyone was a better skier than me. And uh, my perspective changed because everyone else is better than me. But I did know this about good skiing. In most good skiing, there is a certain posture to have And it's with your weight directly over the middle of your skis and your head still and your eyes focused down on the line that you're going to ski. And then with your head as still as possible, you'd swing your hips and your legs out side to side and go back and forth straight down that line. With your posture, move straight down toward that line. In the last few psalms, we've seen a certain focus, a, a posture a couple of times already. Last week, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And now, to you I lift my eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Our posture is directed by the focus of our eyes. And that focus of our eyes is up up to the hills, up to Jerusalem on this journey, and ultimately up to our Father in heaven. Now, looking up, looking up is a posture of service. When you look up to someone, you look down on those who are lesser than you, who who are there to serve you, And, and you look across at your peers, You look up to a master to whom you are but a servant. And when you first come to God, it's so easy to forget this because Jesus came to us as a servant to our needs with promises and the gift of salvation and and the offer to ask whatever we want. And we easily get mixed up and, and take the posture of looking down on God and thinking mistakenly that whatever we want is, is what, how we're gonna serve ourselves. But God did not be, come to us to be a servant to us so that we could order him around. But the son became a servant, washing our feet, dying for us, so that we could join him in service to his good father. So that we could say with him, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So look at this phrase again. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. And and that's not about geography. That's not a, a location of the divine. It is about the nature of our relationship and our right posture toward God. We are his servants. And we don't, we don't get to make up God or, or to tell Him who He is to us. We take Him on His terms. In Scripture and in the Lord Jesus, we see who He is, our Creator and the Lord of all things, and also our Redeemer who loves us more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's that's the way He looks at us. That's His posture toward us. And we keep our eyes up on Him as we journey as humble servants. That's our posture. And, and then we figure out what it is we're expecting to find when we look up and we see God. And this is what we see and what we look for. This is the expectation. This is what we ask and expect in God. And it's a simple word, three times in the second half of the psalm, mercy, mercy. When we look up to see God, He's he's more than we can fathom. But the one thing that we can understand and expect with our eyes on Him is mercy. We can know and be sure of this, and we start every service leaning in to God's mercy as we come with our confession of sin. Now, now scholars are not sure of the historical context in which this psalm is written, but many consider this to be written during the time just after the Israelites have been able to come back to Jerusalem after the Babylonians had them in exile for 70 years. Seventy years. And now, under the leadership of Nehemiah, whom we are going to talk about next week, they sought to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem again, to reestablish it as their safe home. But Nehemiah 4 explains how they were profoundly ridiculed, pursuing what seemed to be a hopeless task. The, the toppled stones of the old wall around Jerusalem... That was destroyed were were way too much for their small group to manage and to redeem and to reuse, or so so it seemed. And their enemies, the enemies of the Israelites, coming back in this vulnerable time, sought to destroy their spirits with ridicule. Have you ever been ridiculed? Do you remember those moments? The one that came to me as I was thinking about this is I played Little League in what was probably a very different time of playing Little League. And, uh, and I remember standing at the plate and looking at the pitcher, and there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of chatter. And, and some of it, the part that I was most likely to register was along the lines of, you can't hit this. You shouldn't even be up there. You're you're an imposter, an embarrassment to the league, and and hopeless. It's not going to happen for you. And it's baseball. So, of course, even the best hitters are going to blow it 70% of the time. And it's humiliating. And mostly the ridicule is going to be true, even if you're good. And the Israelites returning to Jerusalem seemed like a, a pitiful small group. Trying to do something way beyond them. And, and they could have listened to the ridicule. And it's hard not to have criticism roll around in our heads. Some of it have it on a track. And maybe from our childhood, we just hear it over and over again, no matter what we're doing. It's hard to have that. And, and Satan, Satan himself is also known as the liar and the accuser for a good reason. But we come back to this word, mercy. It's a great word. It's what Nehemiah and the young kid in the batter's box need from God at that moment of vulnerability. And, And so we cry out for mercy. Eugene Peterson describes mercy saying, The basic conviction of a Christian is that God intends good for us and that He will get His way in us. He does not treat us according to our deserts, but according to His plan. And James Boyce writes about mercy. Mercy is an aspect of grace, but the unique quality of mercy is that it is given to the pitiful. In this case, to those who have endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. A.W. Pink says, mercy denotes the ready inclination of God to relieve the misery of fallen creatures. Thus, mercy presupposes sin. Sin is finally what makes us truly those to be pitied because we are lost. And whether it's our own sin or the sin of others visited upon us, mercy is where we're saved. Voice goes on to say, I, I suppose that most people think that God should be merciful to them because they deserve it or they're nice people. There's no confidence in that thinking. The confidence we have when we approach God, when we look up to God, asking for mercy, is in God's own merciful character, not in our character. The psalmist looks with his eyes looking to the one enthroned in heaven, he knows that his need, his, his first and greatest need is mercy. And, if, and the Christian on the road has not just need for mercy, we have an expectation of it. We trust in God's mercy because the clearest vision and sight that we have of God is in his Son on the cross dying for us and when we look up to Golgotha and see the cross we see the certainty and the enormity of the mercy of god upon us not because of who we are but because of who he is it's not just that we need that we and the psalmist need this mercy We need it now. You hear it in the psalmist. We've had more than enough of contempt. More than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. We just can't take it anymore. I like the way Peterson puts this. The experience of servitude is recurrent throughout history, and the experience has never been happy. And, and nobody in history wants to be a servant rather than a master. It, it's never gone well for the servants. We know that power breeds oppression, and the term master in our world has become a term of derision for someone who wields power horribly. And, and we, live, we live in a similar slavery. Our country has abolished institutional forms of slavery 150 years ago. And, and we almost don't have a servant class in our, in our society anymore in, in many regards. We celebrate freedom, but everyone knows what it's like to cry out for freedom. The Israelites, when they escaped slavery in Egypt, they immediately began complaining that they didn't have enough to eat or drink and, and nowhere to go because they couldn't defeat those giants in the promised land. And so they, they just traded one form of slavery for another. We do the same thing. Peterson call, describes it saying, we live in a nation of complainers and a society of addicts. We are still enslaved. Ultimately, we know we are slaves, all of us. We know we are slaves to our own sin." But I love what Peterson says here, the Christian is a person who recognizes that our real problem is not in achieving freedom, but in learning service under a better master. This is what our freedom really is. It's not to be free of any master. That that simply, it just doesn't happen. We will never live apart from the voices surrounding us. The culture and, and societies in a fallen world that, that promise freedom only to deliver another form of slavery, that's, that's one form of mastery and, and or from the voice of our own needs and wants and desires and fears. How do we free ourselves from those? And ultimately from sin and what Hebrews calls our slavery to the fear of death that comes along with sin. Our freedom, our freedom is to choose whom we will serve, whom we will listen to, whom we will cry out to. We go from a slavery to oppressive masters to the freedom to choose another, better, good master. And now, miraculously, we we are fulfilled as servants As the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. That's who is our true master. And the psalmist looks up to the one enthroned in heaven, and we do something that we would not do with any real expectations of other masters. We look up to heaven, and we cry for mercy. And we can fully expect to be given all that we need to continue to, on the journey up the mountain to Him. Now, nearly every week in this season of our life as a church, I'm going to say, be saying something about where we are at as a church through this transitional season. And as a church, it feels like the days of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. And, and we're coming back from COVID like, all the churches around the country, and we are in the middle of a pastoral transition, and we, we spent some time looking around at who we are and where we've been, and now we're looking forward to, to see where we go as a church from here. And wherever the voices are coming from, we all get those moments of hearing the scoffers, the, the mockers telling us it's, it's too big a challenge. We can't do it. How, do we, how can we even be, be an effective church in the 21st century in the melting pot that Kent is? It's, it's asking too much. And, and, and we're like the kids standing at the plate with people telling us we're never gonna be able to hit that pitch. Here's what we do. Look up. Don't listen to those voices. Look up and listen for just that one voice and ask for this, mercy. But this passage isn't just about the church. This is for each one of us on the road. And the posture of a Christian's heart is not looking down on others, never that. Nor is it one of only looking around at that, all the voices where we hear the mockers and the scoffers who are thinking they are looking down on, our, on us only to build themselves up. Ultimately, all they can really do is distract us from the journey that we're on. Our posture is one of looking up to the one who is our creator and our God and our Savior, the one who has mercy for us, but I want to say something else about someone else in this song. Someone else for whom this song is—it's about those who are at a place that is so low that the only way to look is up. I've known the, those places when I've been at my lowest. But I've also, through the years of ministry, have been with people that I've recognized are in the deepest and darkest valleys of life. And when I was thinking of this, one experience in particular came to mind that kind of set, set me on this journey all the way along. It was the summer between my freshman and sophomore years of college, and I was flying by myself on a leg between, I think, Minneapolis and Boise. And I, and I sat next to a young woman, not much older than I was, must have been in her mid-twenties. And in those days, it was before all the headphones and the, and the televisions and, and on flights. And, and so, you'd talk to people and start up conversations. And so we struck up a conversation and she asked about me and I'm a college student at a, at a Christian school and I'm going to be, a, I'm a religious studies major and I'm going to be either biblical scholarship or ministry. And, and I, of course, I know all the answers, right? And so she asked me the hardest question I've ever been asked. She was flying to move back home with her parents. She had been married and just a few days before that, a drunk driver had struck and killed her husband and her baby daughter. And she had questions. The hardest questions, those that, that the ones that come with tears. Both of our tears ultimately. I I fumbled through some answers as best as I could, and uh and I pointed her to some resources, but nothing was gonna satisfy me much less her. And, and then all we could do was this pray pray look up from the darkest valley and ask for mercy and all the pain and the grief will shout accusations at us and at god and at anything good and meaningful is there anything And all we can do is look up and pray for mercy because we got nothing, but we trust He does. It was a plane ride, and we prayed, and then we got off the plane, and nearly 40 years later, I still wonder what happened to her, and I I don't know the rest of her story, but I trust God does. In the end, we don't always have the answers for the hardest questions, but we have a song. We have a psalm, a prayer. And and here's the thing, when you realize who you serve, look up. Look up and, and see and cry out for mercy it changes the way we journey on the way to the temple. It it goes from everything being a hard slog and then we die to one of trust in God even in the hardest and darkest of times. There's moments in our lives where everything's going to be crying out and testing us and testing our faith and whether... Whether we expect that there's a God when we look up, a God who loves us and has mercy for us, but that's the journey. Look up and see. Tim Hansel uh, was one of my favorite authors. He wrote books with silly titles. One, One that impacted me most was called, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. And uh, he was a mountaineer who suffered an accident that broke his back. Uh, And he, he wasn't paralyzed, but he suffered pain the rest of his life. But he wrote books that said things like this. Someone once said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. The famous comic strip philosopher Pogo once said, Gentlemen, we are surrounded by insurmountable opportunities. It's not not because we're so good at getting up the mountain. Sometimes the valleys are so deep and so dark, it seems like there's nowhere to go. But we look up, and we see God's mercy and whether it's, it's seeing a path forward for our church or having hope even in the darkest valleys or whatever obstacle you or loved ones face in this world, look up and call on and trust the mercy of God. Let's pray. Lord, Virtually every place we are on this journey, and this journey is a church, and this journey for each one of us, whether it's in the deepest and darkest of valleys or or anywhere along the way, our posture is one of looking up to you and trusting in your mercy. God help us. Help us to remember that posture to operate in that posture all the time. God, so often we, we, we lose the line, we, we get out of whack and get out of balance and start stumbling. When that happens, Lord, draw our attention to you, Yourself once again and show us Your mercy. We are so grateful that we know through Your Word, through the power of Your Spirit, that You are there that you love us, that you, you sent your Son to die for our sins. You sent your Spirit to comfort and be with us all along the way. God, strengthen us on our journey and pour out your mercy. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your Word. May we live in your mercy every day, in every moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.